Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour Podcast, and your host today is Carla Refold. We are joined by Brendan Coates, who is the CEO of Cyberluminaire. Cyberluminaire was established to solve challenges faced daily by security operation and management teams through designing world-class solutions that provide near real-time visibility, board-ready reporting, digital footprinting, and continuous security control monitoring. Hope you enjoy it. Brendan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about you. Tell us where you were born, where you grew up. Um, so I was born in sunny South Africa in a town called Cape Town. Um, from there, went to university in Stellenbosch, um, wine country. Uh, moved to Johannesburg and uh, now recently moved back to George in South Africa. Just to be closer to family and uh, have a view of a mountain every day. And escape the England weather, I'm guessing. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, before COVID was living on a plane. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, interesting times uh, now with all this COVID happening. So looking forward to getting back to, to the UK. Good. So what about education? You've said you went to university. Have you done anything else? Yeah, so um, really, that's where the, the interest for, for cybersecurity was uh, was born from. Um, and uh, really, most of the studies have been um, you know, certifications gained online and the hang of a lot of self-study. So uh, not traditionally schooled, if you, if you uh, want to put it that way. So... Tell us a, a little bit about some of those qualifications, because we we hear a lot about this in the industry at the moment. So, you know, I think you got your OSCP last year. What's your take yeah. on kind of industry qualifications that are out there right now? Well, it's actually quite an interesting question. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of feel at the moment that, you know, while there are a myriad of, of security certifications out there, you know, some obviously better than others, depending on what you want to look at. I feel that the, the industry is, is tending towards uh, vendor certifications and uh, training what I like to refer to as tool operators rather than uh, security people. Um, and by means of that, I, you know, someone that would be able to operate an antivirus solution or a particular brand of firewall uh, rather than uh, potentially focusing more attention on the fundamentals uh, and then, you know, developing specialization after that. Um, so I started off pretty broad um, from a security specialization perspective, uh, did my CICSP um, just to get some domain fundamental knowledge. Uh, so coming from a network background, it was uh, quite easy to uh, do that translation into security. Um, did SISM uh, and a whole bunch of vendor certifications and then was really fascinated by the offensive security side. Um, so, you know, put that to the test in practical uh, penetration testing and offensive security practices and then decided to do the OECP just as a, you know, val validate that I, uh, you know, uh, could, could translate, um, you know, the, the practical learnings into, you know, something um, as hands-on as OECP. 
Do you find people come to you for advice and ask you about what qualifications they should be looking at? Yeah, so quite quite often, um, especially from people that are looking to break into uh, cybersecurity. Um, you know, I think it's an industry that is incredibly exciting, um, huge uh, opportunity for the right candidates. Um, so yeah, getting quite a lot of questions about you know more what experience to gain over certifications. Yes, and uh, you know that's something we're hearing about a lot as well. You know, experience versus qualifications, particularly for people looking to break in. So how how do you think people can go about getting that experience? So I mean, there's a there's an absolute myriad, and I think you know really COVID has has brought to the the full uh, the ability to remote uh, remote learn. Um, so there's you know huge or vast amounts of resources online for free, whether that be you know through something like Cyberary or Udemy, um, you know where they, people can go and gain that uh, either that certification or that experience, and then more practical solutions or more hands-on is you know things like Hack the Box or Try Hack Me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, where candidates can you know join a virtual lab and and play around um, uh, and break things. And are those the sort of things that you look for? You know, someone that's had the initiative to go do some of their own learning. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you'd, you'll see a lot of organisations um, have crazy requirements and job specifications. You know, like having a, a degree. Uh, for me, it's really practical experience and that hunger and passion for security uh, that's important. So what's key for me is, you know, someone that can demonstrate. Um, that they they have that hunger um, contribution to this, the industry as you know having a GitHub repository with codings code samples and someone that's really you know spent time in the trenches uh, over somebody that is you know traditionally trained and schooled. I just found that produces far more rounded individuals. Now you've come on to talk about core and the the new thing that you've released in the past year. So tell us a little yeah. bit about the journey to getting to this point. <laughs> so, so I must say it's been it's been quite an interesting journey. Um, so, I was uh, previously a, a co-founder of an organisation called Performanta, which is a managed security services provider. Um, and while working in that space, you know, I really got quite surprised at how many organisations uh, are continually investing in new technologies over and over and over you know, from a budget cycle perspective. So, you'll go out and buy. You know, an endpoint security solution and renew that for three years and throw it out because the technology failed. Um, and I really got interested in in that whole side of the aspect of is why is there this constant perception that technology is failing to deliver? Um, so what we spent a lot of time of and in and and obviously coming from the MSSP background was you know. Predominantly, the, the, the answer is it's never the technology that fails. It's normally the people in process. Um, so what we developed was a solution that basically integrates into all of these uh, different security technologies, brings all of that information together, uh, cross-correlates it from an operational point of view, and provides you that single pane of glass into your security environment and how well your tools uh, are performing and how well your teams are actually managing those tools. Um, obviously, in security, visibility and accurate insight is, is absolutely key um, you know, when delivering uh, operations. Uh, and that's really where the idea support was started from, is how do I get the maximum out of my technology 
uh, for the least amount of time invested in becoming that tool operator or running around uh, multiple different tools dashboards. Uh, and then the idea obviously expanded from there um, and we, you know, with the OSCP certification and becoming very interested in offensive security was how do we take this traditional defensive uh, capability and translate that into an attacker context. So we're continually adding new modules uh, like the attack framework, uh, which will essentially give an organization a view from an open source intelligence perspective of what their organization would look like to an attacker. Uh, and that is obviously from a user perspective, exposed credentials, uh, digital footprinting, um, and then combining this wealth of compliance information against that attacker profile um, so that organizations can really make informed quick decisions to target the users or, or uh, ident external identities uh, quickly so that they can mitigate that risk um, either from you know, closing things down from a, a perimeter perspective or increasing the compliance and coverage uh, of the existing investments uh, to ensure that they can mitigate against these attacks. And how long has this journey taken from sort of seeing that there's this problem to, to now? So, so the organization Cyberluminaire, we, we launched in January this year. Um, obviously, from an ideation uh, perspective, this is something that's been rattling around in the brain for, for a couple of years. Uh, before that, but um, we probably spent uh, about the last 18 months in in uh, full full blown development, uh, and went to market in in January this year, and it's been incredibly um, well received by clients. That journey of developing a product, you know, many people listening in in cybersecurity will know how painful that has been, or that can be. So, any any pain points or learnings from that journey? <laughs> I, I, th I think we might have to have a whole separate uh, podcast on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> especially considering you know this is completely bootstrapped. Um, we don't have any external investors. Um, it's it's been constantly this this balance of you know how do we release features uh, and functionality that really makes sense to customers um, and how does their user experience of the platform how do we maximize on that experience um, so it's been a, a massive massive learning curve um, but one that's you know really really exciting you know actually seeing customers using the solution every single day giving us that positive feedback. Um, really just is, is just a great testament. Well, from what I can tell, you've managed to secure quite a lot of customers using the product in a pretty short space of time if you if you only yeah. launched in January. Yeah, that's correct. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's um, obviously, you know, having uh, quite a lot of relationships in the security industry. Um, uh, we believe in, in, you know, let the product speak for itself. Uh, word of mouth in this industry, I think, is, um, you know, quite honestly, the best marketing that you could possibly ask for. And really, it's just grown organically over the last year. Now, my understanding from the product is that it can help you demonstrate your, your ROI for your security investment. Is that right? And, and, and if so, how's it doing that? So essentially, it, it does a couple of things. So obviously, we've got the external attack profiling. So it will you know, tell you where the weak spots in your perimeter are. Um, but then look at your internal controls uh, from a coverage, compliance, uh, and effectiveness perspective. So the tool isn't necessarily you know, popping out a number saying this is ROI, um, because that is a, if it's a very personal uh, calculation for an organization. Uh, you know, 
slapping a, a, a we, we deliver 100% ROI and a marketing brochure if that's not the customer experience is, is not the objective. The objective really is to uh, look at security organizations. We're all aware of this, this uh, perceived skills gap in the industry. We all understand that budgets are under pressure. Uh, how do I get the most out of my security team who is overstretched, under-resourced, under budget? Um, how do I give them the tools and the visibility at their fingertips um, to produce this actionable insight uh, is really the key. Uh, ROI a customer would have to determine for themselves. Now, you've obviously been quite close to this process over the, the past few years with security budgets. So what trends have you seen in that space? Um, quite a quite a couple, and I've actually you know written extensively on it on, on my LinkedIn profile. If anybody would would like to go and have a, a read there, um, but what I've seen you know over just probably my entire career is organisations going into this um, cyclical cycle. So as I said earlier, buying a technology, the perception that the technology has failed, throwing the technology out, buying something new. Um, and more recently, obviously, this, this huge move um, out of desperation, I think, more than anything else, is the need for AI and machine learning and, and all of these wonderful technologies that are out there. Um, but I think as an industry, we've forgotten, uh, or perhaps <laughs> too hard to achieve, is to do the fundamentals and basics correct uh, at the beginning. So, you know, adding on these advanced uh, technologies or AI or machine learning uh, uh, Technologies are a great investment, uh, but if you're not doing or building that on a defense and depth strategy, you're not getting your basics and your fundamentals correct. Um, you know, I think that that is quite honestly uh, money wasted. Are you seeing people invest more or less through 2020? Um, strangely enough, obviously, you know, for, for, for us, it's pretty, pretty different from a traditional uh, vendor landscape. Um, so we haven't, you know, really felt uh, the impact of, of COVID recently uh, from a budgeting perspective. Um, customers, I think, are just looking for, for solutions that are really going to add tangible value and efficiency. Um, a lot of technologies out there today are, are you know, proposed as this uh, quick fix and quick time to ROI and quick time to implement. Uh, and ultimately, your security department ends up being the most expensive project management team in your organization. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the ability for us to deploy quickly, get value out of the system quickly, I think has been the key differentiator for us in, in a tough time. And you've touched on a, a couple of times, you know, it's not necessarily the technology that fails, it's the, it's the people and the processes. So what do you think teams could be doing better there? Well, I think, you know, from multiple different levels, I think man managers should be spending more time on investing in their people, um, providing that um, solid technical base and fundamental understanding um, of, you know, networks. How do they work? How does Active Directory work? What is the principle of privileged, uh, you know, account management, as an example? Understanding the basics and fundamentals of security and then layering on top of that, you know, your vendor certifications. Um, from an individual point of view, um, I think you know, spending more time exploring the security domain. I mean, it's incredibly large, you know, right through from you know DevOps to DevSecOps to product development to firewalls, networking. You know, I think there's a huge amount to learn out there in the industry, and I'd really encourage individuals to explore uh, rather than you know get pigeonholed or siloed 
into a particular uh, focused area in security. And what are you seeing at that, that senior level, at that board level, where, you know, I, I know CORE can really help with the, the reports that go up to that level. So are you seeing more engagement, more understanding? So yes, I think that I think there has been a concerted effort by the board to to try and understand uh, security. Uh, I do still think that there's a huge translation gap um, between the the security realm and uh, risk effectiveness uh, from a board uh, level perspective. So you'll see you'll see boards, you know, obviously on the agenda is you know how secure are we? What could be doing better? What is the regulatory requirements? Obviously, we've seen you know huge fines coming out for organisations leaking uh, data or you know not doing things correctly. Um, so I think it's certainly an agenda uh, topic, but I think that translation level um, is something that needs work, and I think that's an industry-wide problem. Um, how we can help is you know just providing uh, accurate uh, data at the click of a finger. If you go to any CIO or any CISO and ask them how quickly it's going to take them to develop a report across every single security control in their organization and have that ready, you're probably talking a week to two weeks uh, involving multiple different people into that team. Uh, extracting data, you know, making it understandable and legible. Um, and that's the gap we're trying to fill, is to be able to provide that instant visibility in real time across you know, any technology that the customer may have. I saw that on your website, and that was crazy to me that it could take two weeks to understand where you're at, and then you're already two weeks old. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest problem. You know, if, if you ask your CIO right now, how long is it going to take him to produce that report? You know, if the answer is two weeks, by the time you're presenting that data, your environment has completely changed um, and you're reporting on stale data. And that's why, you know, we're always, as, as defenders, we're always a step behind um, because we have to, you know, take into consideration a, a, a running business. We have to take into consideration uh, user impact. We are completely at a disadvantage uh, when it comes to an attacker who gets to choose time and cadence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and we you know, have, have to still deal with running a business. So you've touched as well on compliance. And I know Core can kind of help with that security and compliance and joining the two. So can you talk to us a little bit about the difference that you see between what's compliance and what's security? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, there's a a great amount of, of regulation out there, which I think is being used effectively as a business driver. So you will have, you know, as an example, in the UK GDPR, which is being used to, you know, drive the responsible use of, of private information. The problem is, you know, you will have this industry standard of, yes, we GDPR are compliant, are we PCI DSS compliant? Um, and then you, you go and look at some of those organizations that have been compliant, have been signed off by auditors, they're still getting hacked. Um, so the difference here is I think that the, you know, the regulatory uh, point of view is a great driver. It is a great um, measuring stick, if you would like, um, but it doesn't translate into practical terms. What do I need to do today to make my organization more secure? Um, so I think there's a big difference between you know, the regulatory compliance, if that's what you're referring to, and, and actual security. Uh, from a core perspective, what we're looking at is, you know, are your controls on every single endpoint? 
are they configured well? Are they actually being managed well? Um, and those sort of things, which, you know, from a day-to-day -day security perspective of, you know, putting those bricks in the wall uh, to achieve this, this uh, remit of safe is what, what we like to call it. So you, you've said, obviously, you've launched in 2020, right at, right at January, <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that have done the same, but it's, it's been a challenging year. So how has that, how has that gone for you? So yeah, we, we were certainly um, you know planning on on having some uh, marketing launches, uh, attending some roadshows and events. So obviously, uh, COVID has put a bit of a dampener on that. But I think you know at the same time, I think we we're in 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 security or in IT at least. I think we're very fortunate that we are able to you know telecommute, telecommute and you know have uh, interactive sessions with companies via Teams, attend podcasts like Zero Hour. Um, so. As I referred to earlier, I think, you know, building a, a product that customers love has been what's absolutely key for us. Um, I'd much rather have a, a customer refer another customer than, you know, I'd rather spend the, the marketing funds on building a great product um, than going to the rest of the world and, you know, telling everybody about it. So I think it's been really great organic growth. Um, you know, next year we'll probably look towards uh, some more uh, events. Um, but yeah, I must say it's it's been a challenging year, but I think it's it's been a great year. Do you think we go back to those style of events? Um, <laughs> I I don't quite know yet. Um, I I think there, there's definitely no replacement for face to face engagement with customers, um, creating that that one to one relationship. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I I don't know how to. Answer that question quite yet. Um, I think that yeah, we'll we'll have to. There'll have to be a new normal, if you want to call it that, uh, which is probably a mix of, of virtual events and and something like that. But probably we're looking to create something a little bit more intimate rather than large events. Now that's quite interesting because there's you know there's a lot of talk around the cost of some of these events. You know, it's quite easy to spend six figures attending attending an event and then having to prove the the marketing return on that. So, mm. yeah, maybe more intimate events could be the way to go. Uh, I think so. R rather have f five customers that are you know you have their f their full attention um, and can really receive that feedback uh, rather than ten thousand and you know coming to your stand looking for the the swag pencil and takeaway <laughs> you've met me at one of your events haven't you <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. so it can be quite hard to stand out at the moment in security there's a lot of lot of products a lot of stuff that's new like how have you managed do you think to to stand out and have some quite quick success i think it really comes down to the, the quality of product, um, building something that, that customers really enjoy using, um, I think has been absolutely key to us. Uh, we, we really, um, you know, interwoven with our, our customer base, we provide them direct access to our development team. Um, you know, so if there are feature requests or modifications or something that the customer really thinks would be great, uh, we, our ability to turn that feature around and, and release it is, uh, has been phenomenal. Uh, for us, and the, the customer actually is part of our development cycle, um, so that we can, you know, really respond to to their needs as they see it on the ground. Um, and I think really, you know, that has been the, the the key differentiator for us, and the reason for our success is 
involving that customer directly as an intimate part of your development lifecycle rather than a consumer of your product. Now, that's really interesting. So how, how do you balance that? Does a certain number of customers have to ask for something or do you just have to agree it's a good idea? So absolutely every single customer, um, you know, is, during the, the installation phase, we take them through the dashboards, we take them through the logic, um, and customers are, are free to contribute to that. Um, it doesn't necessarily, if, if one customer thinks it's a great idea, it's a great idea for them. There might be another customer uh, further down the line that might have the same requirement. Um, so it does go through a vetting uh, process just to make sure it's in line with the, the overall strategy of, of uh, the product. Um, but we really want to deliver value to the customer and make sure that you know what what they want is something that's visible in the product quickly. Yeah, I think that can just be a real challenge, can't it? To balance, you know, yeah. what does one person want and their desire to please that one customer uh, versus yeah. you know what's right for the what's right for the product for the long term. No, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think that's that's the the the. The, the challenge that we will have when we start scaling is is how do we still accommodate um, those requests into an uh, overarching customer strategy or product strategy. Um, but right now it's about you know, delivering value to our existing customers, making sure that we, we remain close to them and make sure that their ideas are seen in the product as well. And that's where I think newer products can have some good success. You can be a bit more dynamic than some of the, the very large products and the large companies that maybe don't have that flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've taken that methodology right through to our costing. Um, you know, we don't believe in, in only providing a customer a discount if they buy the product on a three-year life cycle. Uh, we provide them a month-to-month -month subscription, um, which really turns the pressure conversation onto us. We either de deliver value to the, our customer base, or you know they cancel their contract without um, you know any any um, terms and conditions. Um, and I think that you know just changing that traditional vendor landscape into value-driven uh, technology, uh, I think is something that the industry is going to have to adapt to. Uh, customers don't have uh, the time, the budget, the, the resource ability to have to continually uh, invest in, in making sure that a, a, a technology works for them. They need the ability to adapt and change quickly as the threat landscape changes. And how do you think that's going to change the vendor space going forward? Do you think we're going to see a move? I mean, we have seen quite a lot of M&A activity. So, you know, companies actually becoming larger and maybe fewer of them. Or do you think we're going to see more, more dynamic companies that actually add value um, and serve customer needs? I, I think the entire channel model will have to change. Um, we're already starting to see a consolidation uh, of resellers into, into distributors. We're starting to see, uh, especially the telco space, um, picking up on, on managed services and trying to uh, deliver security services on top of infrastructure um, subscriptions that a customer may exist, uh, have paid. And as you, you know, correctly alluded to, there's a huge consolidation drive going on um, in the technology uh, space and especially within the services space. So I think the, the market has to change, and I think that's it's going to be... You know, it's going to hurt some, but for the companies that, that can pivot quickly, uh, are creative and, you know, are, are customer-centric, I think we'll do incredibly well. So what does it look like for you? Where would you like to be with the company and the product in the five years' time? 
<laughs> Again, a difficult question to answer. Um, we we obviously are, are completely bootstrapped at this point in time. We would like to accelerate um, our development and go-to-market strategy through you know the correct partnering or correct investment opportunity. Um, but at the moment, you know we we uh, doing really well. We've, we've you know, 10 months in, we're already profitable. Uh, it's really just about expanding uh, the, the, the support base um, from an integrated technology point of view and making sure that we have really, really satisfied customers. Um, you know, that would never change. I mean, 10 months in to be profitable is, is pretty good. And we, we see lots of companies raising lots of money, but, you know, doesn't necessarily speak to their profit. Correct. And I, I think you know the uh, any organisation that that's looking at investments, it's it's absolutely key that they choose the right partner, um, you know, and not and not lose the the product vision and the, that that intimacy that we have with our our community, um, simply because there's a there's a big brother. Now, what do you think is coming next in the security industry in general? You know, what what's going to be the big threats for the next year? Uh, quite honestly, I think the, the, the big threats are f for the next year are the same as the big threats that have been you know, since the advent of, of IT security. Um, I just think that the, the infrastructure has changed, especially you know, with, with COVID. Uh, we've seen a, a massive move to remote working, um, which has forced organizations to rethink network architecture, uh, and that gives attackers an opportunity. Um, so removing to remote working um, landscape is is now remember if you, you're sitting at home on a home wi-fi that is completely unsecured and your neighbor could be you know <laughs> a hacker that's sitting on your wireless network at home um so i think the threat remains the same i just think the attack surface has changed and you've touched on you know teams being stretched you know not having enough resource to pull reports or you know really understand what their technology is delivering do you think we're going to see changes there do you think we'll see more people coming into the industry uh, well look i mean we, we can definitely see a lot more uh, people being interested in the security domain um, it really is a fantastic industry to to be in so i'd encourage any listeners to you know not hesitate and dive right in. We we mentioned as well machine learning. So what do you think that's going to do to the industry? Is that going to have some positive impact? Um, I, th I think it eventually will. Um, I don't think that the, t the technology is there yet from a maturity point of view. Um, I, I always remember a quote and I can't remember, so uh, I'll have to find, find the credit later. But... The, the quote goes, if it's smart, it's vulnerable. Um, so essentially, you know, we're seeing this huge machine learning and AI dr drive uh, in the security industry. I, it's adding value simply because it's taking uh, time uh, away from, you know, a dedicated analyst to have to review something. Uh, what I'm scared of, quite honestly, is this, this dependency on a machine, machine learning algorithm rather than... Um, someone sitting behind with you know a creative brain um, and i think that that could potentially introduce um threats um simply because you know if, if somebody isn't looking at a screen and the machine learning algorithm hasn't uh, popped up a big flashing red light on my screen i think everything's okay 
and yeah, uh, that, that's why I say I think that, that some of this technology that's being released is really fantastic. It looks good on the tin. Uh, whether it's going to stop a highly targeted and motivated attacker, I'm not quite sure. Well, that's a really good point because we hear about machine learning being perhaps the answer to some of the people problems that we have in security. You know, if we can't resource, then maybe technology is the, the answer. But actually, without that human pair of eyes, it's, it's, you're, you're fighting another human who might be attacking you. Can this really, can this really deliver? Yeah. So, so, yeah, as I said, I think the technology out there is great. It's showing tremendous amount of promise. Um, but I, I don't think right now we can, you know, t turn everything off and, and, and sleep at night and rely on only AI and machine learning by itself. Uh, certainly, I do see a huge move to uh, solutions like SOAR or automation platforms. Um, I think that is um, at least taking the, the mundane out of the analyst's uh, life at this point. Now you mentioned if it's if it's smart, it's vulnerable, and it seems a little crazy to me that we have all these smart products that are coming into our lives, but we're not focusing on the security of those products. And it feels like that's been a topic for several years. So, do do you have an opinion on why this isn't changing? Uh, I, I, a machine is never going to substitute a human brain. Uh, that's quite honestly my view. Well, at least not, not at least, or at least not in the short term. Um, when you're dealing with an you know, advanced APT and attacker, the simple truth is that uh, their jobs, their, their passion and what drives them is doing things that they shouldn't be able to do. Um, and they operating in a world where we're connecting coffee machines and, you know, uh, I saw an oven being hacked the other day and a coffee machine with ransomware on it. So we're in this this huge, you know, uh, drive as as humanity to put everything online and uh, you know have our con world connected, uh, and that's just presenting a huge opportunity for for somebody that that has a creative mindset uh, and wants to break stuff. I saw an article on the on the ransomware on the coffee machine saying, you know, isn't it isn't it surprising that this can happen? And I thought, well. No, not really. It feels like we all know well, this can happen. <laughs> well, quite, quite honestly, I think that might be the only ransomware that customers should pay because that's probably the most critical infrastructure <laughs> that a security company can have. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely pay for access to my coffee machine. You can you can lock me in my house with my smart my smart keys, but don't take away the coffee. <laughs> Um, now we wrap up each podcast with the uh, ten quick fire questions. So, are you are you ready? Sure. What turns you on professionally? Having a satisfied customer that is throwing new ideas left, right, and centre at us, and the ability to actually deliver something that makes them go wow. What turns you off professionally? Difficult one to answer again. Um, I think what's, what's frustrating is seeing uh, organizations really struggle getting the basics right uh, and then throwing technology upon technology on top of the problem as kind of the, the lazy answer to, to doing things correctly. How do you unwind? Um, quite difficult, especially in COVID with a three-year-old that's been stuck in the house for 10 months. 
Um, but uh, we we try to get you know break away and go to places with no reception and no no um, lights and things like that. So it's important to get that break. Well, a three-year-old in a new business, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to try? Psychology. Uh, I think the, the understanding of the human mind is incredible. What activity gives you the most energy? Engaging with customers. Who is your biggest inspiration? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think there's so, there's so many. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, people in the industry that are, are doing really amazing work um, from a hacking perspective, from uh, down to you know the Simon Sinek's of the world uh, from a psychology perspective. So I think there's I, I couldn't name one. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? I have to edit the pause out. It's <laughs> a good, good, good question. Just ask it again. If there was a topic I'd be giving, what would be one one word I'd be speaking about? Uh, yes. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Uh, I'll give you an acronym, uh, rather. You know, really? we're used to the PAS and SAS and, and things like this. I'm going to give you a new one called BLAS. Blatant Lies as a Service. Oh, I like that. I don't think I've had an acronym yet. Um, you are at your best when you're doing what? Getting stuck into technology, understanding a customer's requirements and, and building something that uh, matches that need. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? Have more fun. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say is the reason he is letting you through the gates? That I was a good father. I like that one. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. I think there's so much in there about what the, the product can deliver um, and some really good insights to the industry as well. Thank you. Oh, thanks very much. I'll have to go, go offline and think about those 10 fire questions. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode for the latest episodes please subscribe and for future conversations reach out on twitter and linkedin